Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. This week in Jewish communities throughout the world, the parasha, the weekly Torah portion that is read, is named Yitro. It is one of a few Torah portions that are named after individuals. And interestingly enough, Almost all of them are named after individuals who are not part of the Jewish people, who are not members of the covenantal community. Parashat Yitro begins in Exodus 18 with verse 1 and ends in Exodus 20 with verse 23. It is highlighted by the revelation at Mount Sinai and the offering in the text of what's called the Aserata Debrot, which is usually translated as the Ten Commandments. In this week's Torah portion, Jethro, the English for Yitro, Moses' father-in-law and the pagan priest of Midian, heard what God did for Moses and the Israelites. He took Moses' wife and two sons and brings them to Moses in the wilderness. After a passionate reunion, Moses shared with Jethro the whole story about how God had rescued the Hebrews from bondage to Pharaoh in Egypt. Jethro rejoiced, saying, and I quote, Blessed be the eternal, now I know that God, Adonai, is greater than all other gods. Jethro then made sacrifices to God, the God of the Israelites, and not the Midianites, and everyone feasted. The next day... Jethro watched Moses settle disputes among the people. The text tells us that Jethro said, Why do you sit as a judge, Moses, while the people stand before you from morning to night? Moses answers, Because the people come to me to seek God. I decide between man and his neighbors and make known the laws of God. But this is not right, says his father-in-law. You will tire yourself and the people out. Now heed my voice. I shall advise you. You be a representative of God and teach the people the path that God seeks of them. Then find capable individuals who fear God, trustworthy, who spurn ill-gotten gain. Set these men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and tens. Let them exercise authority over the people at all times. They will decide the minor dispute and bring the major disputes to you. Certainly, this appears to be the first system of a judiciary. Moses followed his father-in-law's advice and set up the system. Then the text tells us that Yitro left the Israelites and returned to the land of Midian. The Israelites camped in front of the mountain in the wilderness of Sinai. God tells Moses to say to the Israelites, you have seen what I did. I, God, did to the Egyptians and how I brought you to me. Now, if you will obey me faithfully and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the nations. Am Segula, a treasured possession among all the peoples. Indeed, the earth is mine, but you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Moses relays God's message to the people, and they answer as one saying, All that God has spoken, we will do. 
God then says to Moses, in three days, I will come to you in a thick cloud in order that the people may hear when I speak to you. And so trust you ever after. Now warn the people that they must be clean and pure for the Lord will soon appear at Mount Sinai. Moses told the people to prepare for God's presence. On the third day, as morning dawned, there was thunder and lightning and a dense cloud upon the mountain, a very loud blast of the shofar horn, the ram's horn. All the people trembled, and Moses led the people out of the camp towards God. They stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Moog Sinai was in smoke, and the Lord came down from it in fire, and the whole mountain trembled violently. It's a very picturesque scene that's painted in the text. The blare of the shofar grew louder and louder. God said, go down, warn the people and priests not to try and come up and look at Adonai, lest they perish. God spoke all these words, saying, and now comes the Aserita de Brot, known as the Ten Commandments, well known to all of you. And the text concludes, when the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the blare of the shofar and the mountain smoking, they fell back in fear. Speak to us, Moses, and we shall hear. Let God not speak to us, lest we die. Moses says, do not be afraid. God only spoke directly so that the fear of God may be forever with you so that you not go astray. The people stood afar while Moses approached God in the thick cloud. Tell the Israelites, Adonai says to Moses, you yourselves saw that I spoke to you from the very heavens. Therefore, never make any gods of silver and gold. Make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice offerings. In every place my name is mentioned, I will come to you and I will bless you. A powerful experience. Known to many as Revelation. This morning, to chat with both you and I about Revelation is Rabbi Jack Luxemburg, Rabbi Emeritus of Temple Bethany in Rockville, Maryland. Rabbi Luxembourg has served Temple Bethany for over 35 years. He is known in the Washington, D.C. area as an excellent teacher of biblical text. In his own congregation, it took 20 years for the congregation to study word by word the five books of Moses. He's known in Washington for his excellence as a teacher of biblical studies, and he's known throughout the world as a proponent of the World Zionist Association of the Reform Movement throughout the world, known as Artsenu. Okay. Welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, Rabbi Luxembourg. Well, it's a pleasure to be back here with you, Rabbi Garten, and uh, my greetings to all who are listening. As you uh, know, this week's parasha is called Yitro, 
uh, translated as Jethro, and uh, what takes place in the parasha is of extreme importance to um, all people of faith. It speaks about the revelation at Mount Sinai, and I thought that we might begin with uh, a conversation about what is revelation. So how do you understand this episode uh, at the uh, mountain of Sinai? Uh, well, I think the, the Torah portion gives us a couple of really keen insights. Um, one thing that I've always found fascinating is that the Torah portion, with this dramatic revelation at Sinai, doesn't begin with that. It begins rather with the conversation between Jethro, or Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, and Moses himself, about how to organize the community in a just and fair way, where everybody is heard and matters can be adjudicated uh, fairly and justly. And it always makes me think that uh, the, the sequencing here suggests that perhaps it's necessary for a community uh, to be fair and just as a matter of course by its nature and so that everybody is heard, so the human voice and the human heart is heard before we're prepared uh, to hear the word of God. Uh, so so is, what you're suggesting is not that it's uh, two independent episodes, but rather there's a connection between uh, Yitro, the priest of Midian, suggesting that there needs to be a uh, judicial system in place before the laws are even offered. Uh, I, I, I think that it's a matter of uh, the, uh, describing the character and the quality of the community, of this, what is the sacred community, uh, and, and as part of its and preparation and, and its uh, eligibility even uh, to be open to receive God's instruction. Uh, it, the whole episode with Jethro and organizing the community presages in, in chapter 18, uh, precedes chapter 19, uh, when it's time for Moses to go up on the mountain. In, it, uh, in chapter 18, mm -hmm. um, Jethro, the Midianite priest, says to Moses that um, you can't do this by yourself. Um, you need to be the uh, spokesperson for God. Um, so does that suggest to us that um, the text wants us to see Moses in a um, unique situation in relationship to the people, that only he becomes the uh, conduit between God and the people? Well, let me, let me, let me point this out. Rabbi, if you look in, in chapter 18, verse 23, Jethro says to Moses, after talking about how to organize uh, a just and fair community, he says, if you will do this, then God can give you his commandments, and you will be able to endure, and all this people too, each one of them will come in peace to the place rightfully due him. I mean, I think that's an to me, that's an exceptionally powerful verse. And he said, and, and that preparing... Uh, there goes on, of course, to talk about how the, Moses instructs the people to prepare themselves for revelation. But part of this is, is, talks about, I think, the organization of the community, the character and the dynamic of the community, how people are connected 
uh, to each other in justice and fairness, uh, which is a, uh, a prerequisite, if you read, as I read uh, verse 23, a prerequisite uh, for, the, uh, for the people to receive uh, revelation and for Moses himself uh, to be situated uh, both uh, communally and spiritually uh, to to become the the teacher of, of our our ancestors and and uh, participate. I see him as a participant in in this act of revelation. Uh, after all, it, it's not as if it's just Moses going up on the mountain uh, for a private conversation with God. Uh, very importantly. Uh, before Moses uh, receives revelation and, and becomes the teacher of that revelation, uh, there is a shared revelatory experience between God and the entirety of the Jewish people. And how do you um, explain that? You know, um, in the uh, original movie of the Ten Commandments, uh, Cecil B. DeMille uh, portrays Charlton Heston uh, with a spiritual glow. Um, and it appears in the movie that only uh, Charlton Heston receives the revelation. But the Torah seems to offer a very different version of that, as you're alluding to. You know, I, I, I think that you, you made a very good point, and that is, as we, all people of faith, we are uh, very much impressed by the visual uh, representation of of, of, uh, of this almost inexplicable uh, occasion uh, where God enters into dialogue with human beings, uh, and that's why we call the and and we're stuck with this Charlton as you call it the Charlton Heston uh, portrayal, uh, which is not accurate to the text. Uh, in in our tradition, as you know, we refer to the so-called Ten Commandments. Uh, uh, whatever uh, Cecil B. DeMille determined was inscribed on those tablets. Um, we don't call them the Ten Commandments, as if they're somehow they're the top ten out of the 613. We refer to them as Aserta Hadibrot, the Ten Pronouncements, because these ten instruct, uh, elements of instruction uh, by the Torah, by the biblical text itself, is what all the people hear. So, it's not that Moses brought them down uh, as a message. It is, is that God spoke, and all the people heard the divine voice, and all the people perceived uh, these uh, ten elements uh, of instruction. And that's why in our tradition, as you know, we call Aseret Hadibrot, the ten pronouncements. But uh, Torah goes on to tell us that the experience of revelation, as we might all understand in our imaginations, was so overwhelming that our, 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 our people determined that it was, <laughs> it was safer for them in a way, uh, that, uh, uh, that Moses, then, having acknowledged that God was speaking to them and that God was conveying knowledge to them, uh, better Moses go up and get the rest. But Moses' experience on Sinai as, as, as the recipients of the revelation then to be taught to our ancestors is preceded by a public, shared uh, experience uh, of revelation of God's direct instruction to the people of Israel. So in, in this sense, the... Um 
revelation, the um, acquisition of God's word is uh, apprehended by all the people at the same time. Um, And in Jewish tradition, is there a strata of literature that suggests that people heard it differently? Um, You know, if uh, 600,000 people, as tradition says, were standing at the base of the mountain, um, is it possible that they all heard it as one word? Or is it possible that the words were internalized in many different ways? Well, that's that's really asking ourselves is, is is revelation is apprehending uh, the word of God objective or subjective? Aha! Uh-huh. And if it's objective, then it exists independent of how it's perceived. It, it and those who perceive it necessarily perceive it similarly, right? Right. Um, and now the question then becomes: uh, to what extent? Is is a revel uh, is the experience of revelation um, filtered, let's say, uh, through the subjective, the subjective, the personal capacity either to apprehend or to perceive and understand, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I find I, I I'm not sure that you know having not. Um, I'm not sure that I have a firm opinion on this because I'm a, I'm inclined to say almost both. I think if we read the Torah text, I think the understanding is our ancestors uh, experienced revelation. They experienced God's presence and instruction. They heard these ten pronouncements, hence the name, uh, and uh, and then essentially said to Moses, Moses, this is so overwhelming for us as individuals and as a collective community. Uh, that we need you who have, have this uh, a unique relationship with the divine, that you have the capacity to both receive and understand as well as endure the experience, uh, to go up on our behalf and, be, and come back and be our teacher. Right. That, uh, the, the, other, the, in verse, uh, I guess, uh, 19, they say, they stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. It feels to them as if this is an overwhelming... An overwhelming experience, exactly. But they had the experience in order to determine that, in fact, it was so overwhelming. And I think that that's what's important. So the experience was a shared shared experience, a public experience. experience. It wasn't like there's there's no suspicion that God that Moses goes up on the mountain and, and comes down with something that he alone made up because all the people shared in the initial in the initial uh, moments of revelation and they make a determination that Moses will receive the rest of what they know is a real uh, a, a, a real expression of God's uh, will. Uh, and instruction for the Jewish people, and and I think it's more very important, Rabbi, that we recognize that you know every day, uh, twice a day, uh, and twice of the three daily services uh, that that uh, we participate in as Jews, uh, we recall revelation, and we call we call it either Ahava Rabbah in Hebrew or Ahavat Olam, uh, with great love. 
that, that, that the revelation and the giving of Torah is an act of love. It's, it's not primarily an act of legislation. It's not primarily an act of, law, of imposition of laws and obligations. It's an act of love. Out of everyone, God's love for this people, Am Segula, I have chosen you as a treasured people, and my gift, uh, as we... Uh, and, and we receive it as an act of love. Right. And, and, with the great love you loved us in giving us the Torah. And then and like, later in the service, we say, we say, you shall love God, right? So right, the we, verb love um, repeats itself in each service. It, it does, and I think what's important, Rabbi, is to uh, uh, recognize uh, that it is out of, in every loving relationship, there are responsibilities and obligations. If you say you love someone, then you act towards them in a particular way that demonstrates your love. And for us, Torah, God's gift to us, is, a, is in a way, uh, our guide is to how to act in, out of love, not only towards God, but towards creation and towards other human beings and, and towards our, our, our responsibilities for our own spiritual and physical well-being. That insight um, makes the experience at Sinai even richer. The Israelites are redeemed from Egypt without any commitment on their part. No. Um, there's the Passover Seder that's spoken about, but that's mm -hmm. part of leaving. It's not a a concomitant commitment um, that they make regarding their leaving, but then they get to Sinai. And it's in a sense, as you describe it, that God says to the people, okay, you are now here. You are free of the bondage. And now it is your time to be responsible. Um, and this is how you will act in a responsible way to the covenant that I established with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I think you find, I, I, I think if, uh, uh, if you and those who are listening were to look at uh, chapter 19 of Exodus, uh, beginning uh, with verse 3, uh, Moses uh, uh, has a communion with God, as he has had previously, burning bush and following. And uh, in those following verses, uh, just as you say, Rabbi, uh, the experience of the Exodus from Egypt is recalled, and God and and God then says, "Now, if you will earnestly hearken to my voice and you will keep my covenant, then you must then you must belong to me exclusively, more than all the nations of all the uh, for all the earth is mine. But you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation." And essentially, what God it's almost like a betrothal. I say, you know. Uh, that, that, that the loving relationship between God and Israel is established. And, and God says, and, and, and if you are going to be true to this loving relationship, uh, you're going to, uh, you know, walk in my ways. And, and the ways at, are and, the uh, Sarita de Brot. Ten Commandments and the other 603. Right. And if you look at verse 8, when Moses has, has conveyed this message to them, this is pre the Sinai revelation, that people don't even know what's in it. What do they say in verse 8? 
We will hear it and we will obey it. We, we, all that God has spoken, we will do. Right. So I want to say, thank say, you. In other, words, in other words, to say we're in love and help us understand what that, you know, the loving relationship is established. We look forward to, and, and we will fulfill it. We will fulfill the obligations of that relationship. And when it says not, doing comes, the doing comes first, and now the doing comes a deeper, deeper understanding. This is as we share in a loving relationship with another human being. As, as that, that relationship grows, it becomes deeper and deeper. We love them more and more as, as we do what love requires of us in that relationship. The word love appears in what's usually identified as the third commandment, uh, showing love to a thousand generations and to those who love me and keep my commandments, I promise to be uh, show love to you. And I'm going to use that in the few minutes that's left to us as a transition to one of the essential questions that's often asked about the first two commandments, mm-hmm. um, in which uh, it suggests that... Um, I'm just going to read the generalized English. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. The word gods is in the plural. Um, And many people suggest that the proper way to hear the Hebrew is to hear it as God saying to the Israelites, I am your God, you are my people, that's our covenant, and all that exists around us, other gods, other people, are really irrelevant to this love relationship. How would you uh, interpret that second uh, commandment in which there's the notion of plural of gods? Well, I I, I think the Torah is very interesting about that. We know historically that in, 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 uh, amongst humankind in, in this time, there, there are, are, are many gods, if you will, small g, uh, that different peoples worship different deities, and some of them worship multiple deities in, in, their, in their attempts to express uh, the relationship between the human and the divine. Uh, some resort to idol worship. Some worship the stars, the sun, and the moon. I think what is is what saying when it says you shall have make uh, uh, you shall not have another god before before me or uh, uh, in, uh, in comparison to me. I think it means uh, that that the relationship that God has established with the Jewish people is so intimate that we recognize that anything else is imitation. And anything else is, is 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 false. Is not real, and that's it, what a false god is. It, 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 it's not real. It's not ultimate, right? It's it, it, it's transient. And so, what God is saying is that what what you have that part of this revelation is to give one discernment, to be able to distinguish between what is true and enduring and divine, and that which, which is not. I think we're going to have to leave it there, Rabbi Luxembourg, but it's a great place to conclude our conversation. What is true and what is real and what is divine? 
the Torah portion this week is about believability, about responsibility, and about the human capacity to apprehend God's presence in the universe. My guest today has been Rabbi Jack Luxemburg, Rabbi Emeritus of Temple Beth Ami in Rockville, Maryland. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. You can find a podcast of this morning's show on iTunes or the CHRI website, chri.ca. If you wish to address an email to the show, please feel free to do so at jff at chri.ca. Good morning, shalom, and have a good day. Behold.